Welcome to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University, exploring the relationship between education and justice, and the transformative power of inclusive education. Hosted by Roosevelt University President Ali Malekzadeh. As president of Roosevelt University, I get the opportunity to meet students who I know will change the world. Our guest this week is one of those students. In this week's episode, guest host, Professor Marjorie Jollis, sits down with Roosevelt senior, Rose Pawlowski. Rose transferred from two institutions before finding their home at Roosevelt. They were looking for fulfillment and founded in our Women's and Gender Studies program. Rose is a 4.0 honor student and a vocal advocate for community public health, reproductive rights, and gender justice. They also won the 2021 Abraham Lincoln Civic Engagement Award for their dedication inside and outside the classroom. Professor Jolas talks to Rose about their journey to Roosevelt, their work in healthcare advocacy, and their plans after graduation. Enjoy their conversation. Hi, I am Marjorie Jollis, and I'm a professor of women's and gender studies and the director of the Roosevelt University Honors Program. And I have the privilege of chatting today with Roosevelt student Rose Poplowski. Rose is a member of those two communities that I spend most of my time in at Roosevelt. Rose is a women's and gender studies major and an honors student, and so I've worked closely with Rose in a few different settings. And just this fall, Rose was selected to represent Roosevelt University as a 2021-2022 Lincoln Student Laureate of the Illinois uh, Lincoln Academy, and was also the winner of the Abraham Lincoln Civic Engagement Award. And Rose was selected on the basis of their exceptional academic performance, which we're going to talk more about, and their sustained civic activity over several years as a student and an advocate. And we're going to speak about that as well. And also we're going to learn about Rose's goals for future civic impact. So welcome, Rose. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Excited to be here. So, Rose, before we dig into the specifics of your award and even your Roosevelt experience, I thought you could tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, how you chose Roosevelt. So, originally, I'm from Hawthorne Woods, near Lake Zurich and Mundelein area, so northwest of Chicago, about 40 miles. I chose Roosevelt, so I went to two institutions prior to Roosevelt. First, Indiana University Bloomington for about a year, and then Kendall College, where I finished um, an associate's in baking and pastry. And I chose Roosevelt while I was in Kendall because I wasn't feeling fulfilled enough doing baking and pastry, and I wanted to go back 
to studying more women's and gender studies. And I looked at several colleges around Chicago because I wanted to stay in the area because I was familiar with it. And Roosevelt just had the program and the size of the school that I wanted. Nice. Tell us more about this interest in women's and gender studies. Where did that, so you knew before coming to Roosevelt that that was the discipline you wanted to study. So I'm curious how that interest grew in you. So coming out of high school, I didn't know women's and gender studies was a field. I went to a small Catholic high school, so we didn't really talk about any sort of gender sexuality studies. But when I went to Indiana, I was also in the honors college, so I needed to take an honors credit. And it just so happened that the honors credit was a gender studies 101 class. So I signed up for it mainly because of the honors credit, not knowing really what it was about. And once I signed up for it, it was just like a switch in my brain that I knew I wanted to pursue this more. I love it. That's great. Yes, I've heard feminists describe that that switch in the brain, as you said, as like a click, you know, that the world is making sense in a way that now I have words for something I was seeing and wrestling with or, or analytic frameworks for something I, I saw but didn't necessarily know how to theorize. So that's wonderful. So you came to Roosevelt. Tell us more about when you said it was the kind of school you were looking for. It was the size you wanted. It was, as you said, it was in downtown Chicago. Tell us more about your experience once you got here. You immediately joined the WGS major, and you also immediately joined the honors program. Can you tell us more about that experience coming to Roosevelt? Well, immediately coming in, I came in during the height of the pandemic while Roosevelt was still 100% online for the whole year that I was there for the first year. So joining those those two parts was really helpful in... I was able to connect more with people and faculty, especially, and it provided some sort of structure for me to hold on to. The honors program and the women's and gender studies programs. Yeah, yeah, I got it. And that's so interesting. So you're saying the pandemic created almost maybe ironically an opportunity to connect with faculty, maybe, um, I mean, we don't know (laughs) more so than had we not been in remote teaching and learning. But maybe tell us a little bit more about that. What were some of the ways you were able to forge connections at Roosevelt among the faculty and I assume also among your peers, given that we were teaching and learning remotely? So I took two honors courses for my first year. One was the English 222 with Professor Franconi. And in that one, I had a lot of not necessarily one-on-one time, but I had a lot of questions regarding the class because I've never been a tutor, nor have I ever studied how tutors tutor. So it was really interesting to engage with him and being able to just engage with everyone uh, in that class because it was an open discussion for the most part. There was little to no lecturing, so that was really nice. And then I took a philosophy class in the spring semester with Professor Warner, And it was different because we all talked about the book together and he was 
the one prompting the most questions. And so it really made you think because his questions are so rich and nuanced. Yes. So Professor Franconi and Professor Warner, these are two longtime dear friends of the Roosevelt University Honors Program. They teach in honors every year. I hope they will forever. <laughs> they really embody um, the spirit, that inquiry-based learning that we love so much in the honors program and that students, I think, really respond to powerfully, for sure. So it's really gratifying for me to know that even under pandemic conditions, you felt drawn in and supported and nourished by the intellectual community, the intellectual and academic community of the university. That's not easy to accomplish when we're all physically separated. So that's really cool. And how about women's and gender studies? Can you talk about maybe what have been some of the most memorable or high impact learning experiences you've had in your major? Yeah, well, my first women's and gender studies class, just getting into Roosevelt, I, I took two courses, but the first course on that first day of classes that began, I saw you in the sex, <laughs> the politics of sex class. So that class was really refreshing, and I really enjoyed the readings and how it was structured by themes. The pace of it was really nice. And then I think what struck me, one of the classes that I didn't expect to um, be so engaged in was the memoir class with Professor Bloom. I never really thought of ever I would ever write a memoir or really what a memoir was. And so the process of it was really interesting to me. Say more about that, if you could. What, um, because memoir is a, it, it's such a fascinating genre. It's obviously nonfiction, but it's not journalistic reporting. It's, it's, it's craft. It's a very particular kind of storytelling. And so I'm hearing you say it, it sort of came as a surprise to you, your attraction or your immersion in that genre. What was surprising about it to you? I always thought of a memoir as just being a smaller autobiography. I didn't expect to focus on one aspect of my life and then kind of track it down through how I progressed. I thought I had to encompass like almost my whole life, like my education, my family, and all these different facets, whereas I was able to concentrate on this small facet and then just it made sense as you went, as I kept going, and I was able to link these experiences together. So it was really cool. You know, that class, the memoir class in the Women's and Gender Studies program taught by Professor Leslie Bloom, who is another, well, also dear friend of the Roosevelt Honors Program, and such a beloved, I mean, students talk about Professor Bloom's courses changing their lives, truly. They don't, That I'm not exaggerating, they use phrases like that to describe her teaching. And what I'm struck by, Rose, is that in that class, it sounds like you learned about memoir, you read memoir, and you wrote memoir. So you practiced the genre that you were learning about, which is, you know, we might call that project-based learning and also experiential learning, which is something we're really proud of at Roosevelt University and in the honors program. So you were able to sort of isolate, it sounds like, a small part of your life 
and and burrow deep in it, really immerse yourself. And as you were describing that, I was thinking, well, this bears a striking resemblance to the research that you did in your honors thesis. Your honors thesis was not about you, but I thought we could talk a little bit about your honors thesis because that too is learning by doing and it's immersive. So maybe I could, I'll, I'll take a second to explain to the listeners that the honors senior thesis is the capstone experience that students who are in the Roosevelt Honors Program complete in their final two semesters. In the first half, they imagine and map out an original project and they secure a faculty mentor. And then in the second half, they execute the original project that they designed. And so, and, and the, the capstone, the thesis is meant to really showcase the skills that honor students have honed in their major disciplines. So it's both a way of saying, look at what I've learned how to do and watch me do it in an original way that really bears my name and my original perspective. And so, Rose, maybe you could tell us about your honors thesis, the origin of it. You're so close to finishing it, so it's a cool time to be talking about it. And we'll also talk about the defense, which you just completed. But maybe start us off with what the project was and how you arrived at it. So the project is me exploring the history of gender-affirming care through Harry Benjamin, who's an endocrinologist and sexologist, and I use his text, The Transsexual Phenomenon, as a backbone to help me branch off and understand contemporary physicians and then also protocols of affirming care for trans people. And it's such an outstanding project, I can say. Having seen its birth and now almost its, well, birth's a strange metaphor, right? But having seen its origins and then having seen all the ways it's come together and you're maybe just one draft away from turning in the final version. What drew you to Harry Benjamin? So you said he was an endocrinologist and a sexologist from the mid-20th century. Why him? How did you stumble upon him and his book? I was originally going to talk about the policies in general, but I think that would have been a little too broad for me to go after for this project. So I was just looking up like the key people in transgender healthcare. And then, I mean, Kinsey came up and I knew about Kinsey and I was a little familiar with what he's done. But then Benjamin came up too and I've never heard of him. And then I just started just surface levels researching him. And the more I understood what he was about and his impact and influence, the more I got interested in studying him specifically. Very cool. So uh, that's the resonance I heard when you were describing the memoir class that rather than taking on, here's a story of my whole life, right? Instead, really slowing down and isolating something small but important. And that's something we teach a lot in the honors program that really the best scholarly projects are those that center on specific, precise phenomena. 
that that's where we really do our best work is when we burrow down and give a detailed treatment of something small. Giving a treatment of something big is going to wind up being vague, but we can really achieve an important precision and specificity when we isolate something small but enormously important. And in this case, I'm hearing you say Harry Benjamin and his work was unknown to you. And you're you're someone who knew some things about the field of sexology and about gender and healthcare and gender affirming healthcare. And so I know a bit about you, Rose, your life outside the classroom. I know that you have been interested in this question of self-determination and really justice for gender nonconforming folks in the American healthcare system. And I'm curious, because I see that as informing your thesis, of course, that you came to start your thesis project already with an interest in how do people with all different kinds of gender and sexual variants get just treatment, just in the sense of, of, of justice, right? Get just treatment from our healthcare system. And so where did that interest come from in you? How, what, what made you so interested in these intersections between human rights and gender identity and healthcare? I guess I was aware of healthcare disparities, especially at, not to keep bringing Indiana up, but when I did go to Indiana, I was originally pre-med, and so I was part of the IU Minority Association for Pre-Medical Students. And within that association, I learned a lot about health disparities that I didn't even know exist or were even considered a health disparity. And so taking on that association with gender studies and learning about feminine study, feminist studies I kind of put those two together and was able to see how some genders and sexualities were being treated less than than others and prioritized a lot less than others. And the access to the, for them was extremely difficult to just care. So I am fascinated that I feel like maybe I knew this, but I don't think it's something you and I have discussed that you were pre-med. So there was a time in your life when you wanted to have a career as a physician. Where did that interest come from? And also what caused the shift? Because I know you have different goals now for your future. So tell us a little bit about where that interest in medicine came from and how how you sort of took a journey with it. So the interest in medicine is probably the majority of it came from when my Yaya uh, grandmother adopted, my mom's Greek, so I just call her Yaya for grandmother. She was really sick all of my childhood, and that's all I remember her as. So going into these doctors' offices and these different physicians' offices, I was just always interested in what everything meant around her illness. So I think that had me interested. Coming into Roosevelt, I thought I would still be pre-med. But I was just kind of miserable (laughs) with the um, hard sciences, I guess you could say. I wasn't enjoying them. And then at the end of the day, my goal, even with being a physician, was regardless if I was an endocrinologist or any sort of 
physician related to specifically with trans care. I wanted to advocate within that field for the equity um, and accessibility for trans folks. So I figured that I could do that and I didn't need to be a physician and I could do that without having to go to medical school. Instead, I chose to pursue law because I do like reading policies and I do like digging deep into them within their words. and like, what does that word mean? Why did you choose that word? What does it do? Wow. There's so much that's rich in what you just shared. First, your childhood exposure to the field and practice and really industry, it sounds like, of medicine, having that personal experience, how formative that can be for all of us, right? As as children, we sort of encounter the world in 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 these ways that of course make a huge impression. I also something that was going through my mind as you were mentioning that is the really crucial feminist insight that the personal is political. This was a phrase coined half a century ago at least. It was something feminists knew even before it was coined that the personal and the political are not really separate domains. They really shape each other. What we experience personally may have its roots in larger political structures or forces. And so for you to say that in encountering the medical field, you had a political understanding, right? You got to see how power operates and how certain people are positioned differently in relationships of power. I mean, that's really a central a, a central theme in women's and gender studies is that everyday life bears the imprint of these larger structures. And we can learn more about these larger structures by actually studying everyday life, that they're not, they're, these are not, again, isolated spheres. And then your point that you felt you, you were able to identify that it really was advocacy that was exciting you the most, that when you imagined life in medicine, it was the advocacy role that spoke so strongly to you. And I know, Rose, you've had, you've, you've been an advocate. You have been active. Um, this is partially, uh, you know, a, a, one of the major bases of your Lincoln Academy Award is your track record of advocacy. And so I thought you could tell us about how you've gotten involved, the different ways you've been active as a community member and as an advocate for different populations. Yeah. So I guess specifically with healthcare advocacy, it started at Indiana, first with education. And then also I volunteered. I was able to volunteer at the local food bank. And that that does deal with healthcare advocacy in that food deserts, for example, and accessibility to quality, nourishing food, specifically within those food deserts or just within an area that does not have grocery stores affordable to other people, where buying nutritious foods is more expensive than buying fast food or ready-made food that isn't lacks those nutrients. So I was able to assist in that capacity. There were, I think there were other parts. Oh, then I was part of You Bring Change to Mind, which is, it is an organization, but it's also nationwide. So there are other You Bring Change to Minds around the country. It was, I believe it was 
founded or co-founded by Glenn Close, who created it to help debunk stereotypes or preconceived notions around mental health. So I was able to participate in that organization through education and then also creating ways in which people became educated about mental health awareness. For example, we did a escape room where we had to come up with these clues and stuff for people to navigate their way out. And all the clues had to deal with mental health. So that was pretty fun. You're listening to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University. Very creative, very creative. And I know recently you've been involved with Planned Parenthood and you've done some student student organizing and advocacy at Roosevelt. What what has that work been about for you? So I wanted to get involved. I knew I wanted to get involved in at least one organization going into my first semester at Roosevelt. And in my memoir class, Shayla, she was the creator of RU Gen Action. Gen Action in general is Planned Parenthood's university programs or associations, and then Shayla brought it to Roosevelt. And I was able to sign up and become a member. And through my membership, I was able to learn more about Planned Parenthood. I knew very little of it going into the club. But in the spring semester, we went to the Planned Parenthood location on Michigan Avenue, really close to Roosevelt. And we made sanitary kits for people who menstruated specifically to be then passed out. There's such a through line in your work and and activism, Rose, where I see this intersection of the body and health and, of course, gender identity and policy. And that seems to be something that has really organically followed you that you keep enacting in your work. So, of course, we saw it in the thesis and in your women's and gender studies major in all your coursework. You return to these this intersection of bodies and healthcare and the law. And so that was my next question, which is, so we know you're not going on to medical school. You have a plan to go to law school, which is very exciting. And so talk to us about what you imagine uh, for yourself in a career in advocacy and law. What would be your dream trajectory, your dream career path? I think stepping back a little bit, I'm thinking of the presentation I did for the Illinois Public Health Association, the student section, specifically around the need for change in electronic health records to include gender diverse people and the implications of not having a section of anatomical parts needing to be listed and then not having a section for gender identity to be listed. Like the ability in which having a section versus not having a section really affecting the outcome of treatment and the lives of patients. I think going into law school, I would hope to be able to find those little gaps and then 
point them out is what I know. I guess at the end of the day, I'd want to be a consultant in that people would allow me to read their policies and read their procedures to see are they missing something or do they have something and could it be enhanced so it is more accessible to people and includes more people. And then also to give reason why that they should or shouldn't have these things. Oh, that's so excellent. The idea of being being the, the, the strategist, it sounds like you're saying, right? So as a consultant, uh, do you mean for organizations that are mobilizing on behalf of folks who may have less access to the full range of, of health care? Yeah, that and then also just hospitals in general, I, to be able to go to different hospitals or just providers and who want to make a change or even if they don't want to make a change, to be able to go over there and assist with change would be really rewarding. It would be a gift to the world. It would be rewarding, of course, and a gift to the rest of us, Rose, for you to do this work. And it's work I have every confidence that you will, in fact, do. So I wanted to talk about your Abraham Lincoln Civic Engagement Award as a student laureate with the Lincoln Academy of Illinois. Uh, for listeners who may not know, the Lincoln Academy is a organization, I believe it's about 50 years old in the state of Illinois, that recognizes distinguished Illinoisans, folks who've made meaningful difference. So Rose, when you just said, you know, I want to make change, I think that's something that the Illinois uh, that that the Lincoln Academy of Illinois also honors and 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 celebrates. And so, Rose, you were chosen as Roosevelt's nominee. Um, I guess I should back up and say, as a as a four year institution in Illinois, we are one of scores of institutions who every year they select one outstanding senior. So every four year college university in Illinois identifies their star, the, you know, the, the, the senior who really embodies the principles that the Lincoln Academy celebrates. So integrity, academic excellence, promise to make a really significant impact on the state and, of course, maybe the world. So, Rose, we, we organized a committee in the honors program, and it was comprised of my colleagues in honors. So the associate director of the honors program, Sarah Maria Rutter, Professor Tom Kernan, who is the head of the Bachelor of Musical Arts honors degree program, and Professor Justin Shea, who is the head of the CCCF finance track in the honors program. And together, we comprised the committee that made the selection. And we were, of course, immediately struck by your when I say exceptional academic performance, I'm not exaggerating. So our listeners may be interested to know that Rose has a 4.0 GPA at Roosevelt, has just done consistently stellar work and really embodies the academic excellence that um, we love to celebrate in the honors program and at Roosevelt. And also, Rose, you were honored for this record of really sustained engagement in your communities. And then with your plans to build a career in, in, in the law as an advocate 
to expand access and self-determination for individuals seeking health care. I mean, all of that adds up to sort of the ideal Lincoln student laureate. So how does it feel? How does this recognition feel? I don't think of you, Rose, as a terribly immodest person. You don't brag about your successes. You're, you're, you, you move through your, your great successes somewhat quietly. So what's it like to be named the university's laureate? Well, it feels very humbling and very grateful. I think there is a little bit of imposter syndrome because there are so many other great seniors. And um, so I keep nitpicking at myself of like, why did you get, you know, why didn't I'm grateful overall and very humbled. And I think it's just odd for me to have it so, so public when I'm used to just, you know, having my head down, moving through life that's where I'm most comfortable at so this has definitely thrown me out of my comfort zone especially with all this having to send pictures of myself and stuff like I'm just used to being a name not necessarily a face so this has been a definitely experience in itself going through all these interviews or having to provide statements so it's sometimes it's a bit overwhelming because I'm not sure what to say other than, like, I'm grateful. Well, I love that. And I understand that. It is it is a lot to thrust a student very suddenly, right, into this role that comes with, of course, so much recognition and fanfare. It's all so, so well-deserved, Rose. But, of course, I understand everything you're saying. And I know that in being named a student laureate of the Lincoln Academy, you learned a little bit about Lincoln in providing your statement and sort of in stepping into the role. And I wanted to ask what you learned or what, as you, you, you submitted a formal statement and what was the theme of that statement? The main theme of that statement was humility, specifically around Lincoln and his ability to recognize and acknowledge when he did make a mistake or when someone else was not necessarily right, but had a better approach and a better idea than he did at the time. So I think that's really important to understand that leaders aren't necessarily supposed to be made in a way that they're always right and they're always knowing more than others, than potential followers or even colleagues. That it's all just this one big circle of sharing information to provide a solution. That's such a thoughtful way of thinking about leadership because, yeah, there is this tendency of singling out a single person, right, the sort of great man theory of of change when, in fact, we know that, you know, there are often teams and large populations and good leaders are the ones who who can marshal the will and the the commitment of all those others, right, really, really serve others. So I love that you singled out humility as a as a core trait. I think if you hold on to that, you know, that will serve you so well because I do think you're heading into a time where you will continue to be celebrated, Rose. Um so so yeah, I know you don't like it, but you might have to get used to it. <laughs> Graduation is around the corner. 
I can't believe it. I've known you a year and and a, and a few months now. We've had three classes together and the honors thesis, which I was so honored to mentor, and the honors program role. So we've known each other in a lot of different settings. And now here you are, you're about to, you know, in a month from now, you'll be a college graduate. So how does that feel? Are you ready to to move on and, and move move into the next phase of your career and your life? I think so. Definitely ready for a little break in between law school and this. It's been pretty on the go since day one. Even in Indiana, I didn't really take a break when transferring, so it's just been a long four and a half, some four and a half years. So I'm ready for a, a bit longer of a break than summer. But I mean, that being said, I am a bit nervous in applying to law schools because in your head you have these ideal law schools that you'd love to get into. And there is a chance that you won't get into them. It's not necessarily your fault, but you do take it on as your fault. <laughs> like, oh, why couldn't I have just scored this much more? Or been able to do a little bit more. It's just the nitpicking is endless. And hoping to not do that to myself as much when it does come time. I am in the middle of applications. So the worry is definitely there. But at the end of the day, I know what happens will happen. So, well, good. I do think that that's a healthy attitude to take, right? We we have some control over where things go, and we also lack control over where where things go for us. But you're certainly positioned really well for a beautiful, bright next chapter academically and professionally. And I thought I would ask. Maybe this brings us back more toward the beginning of the conversation, but how do you see your Roosevelt experience? So the education, the communal experience that you described in women's and gender studies and in the honors program, how do you see that Roosevelt experience preparing you for the future? I think the emphasis on social justice being the core of pretty much all my classes, I mean, it's in all the syllabi, for one, but just keeping that centered of why are we learning this, who is this benefiting, and how do we implement this knowledge to our daily lives versus opening class, closing class, and forgetting about just going to class to go to class to learn these things and then not use them didn't sit with me well at other schools, but at Roosevelt, they really challenge you to think how this does affect the world around you, even though it may have been historical or not even within your social settings, just understanding that these are real significant events and their implications and their influence do carry on. I love hearing you say that, Rose. It's really gratifying because I'll say for me as a faculty member and and directing the honors program, you know, I feel that our mission at Roosevelt University is really alive. That's been my perspective. It's probably the thing I love the most about Roosevelt. There are a lot of things I love about Roosevelt, but that might be the thing I love the most is the way our mission is truly alive and and in a really organic way. So different 
faculty engage the mission differently according to discipline and course content. And, and that's exactly how to keep it really vital and authentic. Um, and so to hear from a student perspective that you experience the mission as, as so thoroughly integrated is so gratifying to know that that's happening on the student end. That's what we hope, of course. We hope that the students are having that experience and that it does prepare you for what you have planned for the near and long-term future, which is a life and a career of advocacy and thinking about things like access and justice. And as you said, finding those gaps. I mean, I love the attention to that because those small gaps are often the ones that can be actually transformative, whether we know it in the moment or not. So, Rose, I'm just so proud of everything you've achieved. Really, you're such a joy to work with and to see all the creative ways you engage your curiosity and take up the tools of your discipline and apply them in really high-impact ways, right, where people's lives will be improved as a result of your research, your advocacy, and, of course, your passion for justice. So I really want to thank you for not just for doing this this conversation with me, um, but for for the experience of working with you for a year and a half so closely. It's it's so rewarding. You know, as a professor, you love it's it's a great joy to see your students graduate. Right. It's it's such happiness. And then it's like, you know, two percent like. Oh, I miss them. <laughs> so I will miss you. I will miss you in the classroom, the way you bring the, so much to your questions and your, your own lines of inquiry really is a, is a great gift to every class that you're in. So thank you for taking so many academic and intellectual journeys with me. And of course, thank you for doing this podcast episode. It's been a real treat. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for just being a great mentor in general. I just, I'm beyond the thesis coming into Roosevelt. I was definitely nervous and the first day, the way you welcomed me in and the support you gave me beyond the classroom was just immense and definitely felt and it was it's much appreciated. Oh, well, thank you, Rose. It's, it's, it's really a pleasure. And Justice for All is produced by Roosevelt University and is available at roosevelt.edu or anywhere you get your podcast. The music for And Justice for All is written and produced by Jesse Case. Thanks for listening.